Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Happy Easter to all of our listeners. We're back with another interview to help fill the long lockdown hours. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. We've been enjoying speaking to some great names about the NFL and hope you've been enjoying listening to them as well. We were able to catch up with the Scottish football chief executive a few days ago to hear all about his passion for America's great game. And as ever, we'll wrap up with some of the other news from around the NFL. But as Cameron mentioned there, we were joined earlier this week by MS Callie Thistle, CEO Scott Gardner, ahead of what turned out to be a very busy and stressful weekend. Well, we continue a fine run of guests here on the NFL Scotland podcast. The man that we're inviting up next works within the world of Scottish footballers, but has worked down south as well. He is currently the Chief Executive Officer of Inverness Cali Thistle. Welcome to the podcast, Scott Gardner. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Scott, you are a huge NFL fan. I know that. But before you reveal which team, tell us a little bit about what your role in Inverness involves. Well, Inverness is quite an unusual club because we don't have an owner. Uh, most most uh, sports clubs, most football clubs, most NFL clubs, well, all NFL clubs have an owner. Inverness doesn't have an owner. Um, we have a number of guys who are uh, shareholders and our board uh, seems to rotate um, every couple of years. Um, and we have a, so we have a number of shareholders who, who take a position on the board um, we have a number of shareholders who have a position on the board and uh, I effectively run, run the football club and uh, obviously I've got a fair bit of experience um, so I'm full time in every day, I uh, sit down with the manager every day in life um, and uh, everything from commercial to um, uh, retail uh, to the football uh, department uh, at a club the size of Inverness uh, lands on my desk. So um, all, all things pertaining to running a football club, uh, raising the funds to keep it going and trying to get us promoted into the back into the Premier League is, is with, with the chairman uh, who's based in Dundee uh, and uh, John Robertson who's our manager. Yeah, John Robertson is another one of these guys that loves the NFL. It seems to be a growing thing in Scottish football. How long have you been involved in following the NFL? Um, well, I'm 55 this year. I know you're shocked. We are. <laughs> uh, but um, I've been a fan since I was 12 years old. Um, I um, Just because of where my father was working. So um, the, the reason uh, I became a fan of the team I support is because where my father was working, um, I properly, seriously got into the game in 1986 when Channel 4, um, uh, I think Channel 4 uh, came, I think it was their first year they did the NFL and uh, the baseball as well, because I'm also a baseball fan, um, a huge baseball fan. Uh, so the... But the NFL is my main uh, American sport. And uh, so from 1986, I've certainly been pretty much fanatic and very interested. We'll get into a bit about heroes and things in a moment, but we need to reveal your team. You said there was a connection. I guess that's what I think people like is, is how you connect with a team. And your team happens to be? The Dallas Cowboys, America's team. <laughs> That, yeah, see we'll, pause for booing. we'll just briefly pause for booing, Paul. Let the let the listeners have that moment. Right, we're done. You can go on, <laughs> Scott. You must get that a lot. It, they, they're not the most popular team to follow, but we'll give you a pass because you've got a genuine reason. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, they're like uh, I don't know what Manchester United, or uh, um, you either love them or hate them. Um, I won't use a Scottish uh, <laughs> yeah. version. Um, because you're all thinking it in any case. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you either love the Cowboys or you hate the Cowboys. And uh, my dad worked in the oil business and um, he was working in uh, Dallas. And uh, he came back with my first uh, sort of Cowboys memorabilia when um, I was younger. And it was uh, probably Roger Stolbach was quarterback then. Um, a legendary Cowboys quarterback, but I never really saw—I never saw him play because 
as I say, it wasn't really available to us until 1986. So that that's how I ended up. Now it's it's funnily it's gone on from there because I now have family in Dallas, um, and uh, I've also have family in Canada, and they're all Dallas Cowboys fans, and my family in Texas are all Dallas Cowboys fans, obviously. So um, we we. We have great amusement the fact that they're so much hated by everyone. <laughs> there, there is something about that, isn't it? I mean, if you're a genuine fan of a team, I mean, I, I think I'd once some, somebody said to me in Liverpool, how do you know when Liverpool are at home and not Everton? And, and the answer was, well, all the hotel rooms are full. The, the, there is that kind of look about Dallas, but you would forget that Texas is a big, big place. And Dallas, it's a fanatical following. In many yeah, ways. And, and not just not just Dallas, because in the surrounding states, um, you know, in Arkansas and uh, you know, there's huge cowboys uh, following. And uh, I, I was over in Dallas uh, on football business, uh, over in Texas, should I say, on football business, and we were we were we were having to drive from uh, Austin to Houston. But in the discussion before we left in the car. Um, one of the guys was saying, well, yeah, last month I was in my car. I drove for 13 hours at 70 miles an hour, and we were still in Texas. Oh, Jesus. Uh, so 13 solid hours at 70 miles an hour, and they were still in Texas. So it's an enormous, enormous state. And um, it is very fanatical uh, about NFL uh, in general, but obviously the Cowboys uh, is, a, is a massive thing. You mentioned Roger Staubach. I mean, to be the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, I've been to the stadium, I've done the tour, and I couldn't quite believe, I almost sat down where Tony Romo sat, and just before my bum landed on the seat, the guy, the security guard, was trying to haul me out. It's almost like a sacred space, the the locker for the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. If you'd been graced with the talent to play in the NFL level for your beloved Cowboys, what position would we have seen you lining up at? Well, he probably stopped you sitting down because if you sat where Tony sat, you probably would have dislocated your shoulder immediately. (laughs) Um, Obviously, you'd always want to be a quarterback. I don't have the physicality to be anything anything else, but you'd always want to be a quarterback, I think. I don't think... um, Well, I I certainly wouldn't dream of being uh, a lineman uh, or a tight end. Jason Witten getting clattered all over the place. Quarterback, but uh, a quarterback that would never get touched or hurt. Oh, as long as you've got a good line in front of you, that's that's certainly the main thing. I mean, yeah. the Cowboys in recent years, have you flattered to deceive? Is that is that harsh? I, I think you're. I think I think you're flattering uh, <laughs> by saying that. I, I read a good line. Uh, one of the NFL blogs I read saying the Cowboys. Um, uh, people say that they're always on the cusp of greatness, uh, but actually, in, in effect, they're always on the cusp of goodness. <laughs> uh, I, I think I aspire to us being good again before. Uh, I think we've been massive underperformers for, uh, well, since Troy Aikman. I think we've been massive underperformers uh, since Troy uh, left, Jimmy Johnson left. Cameron, you support the 49ers and you've obviously gone from being one of the teams to having that sort of lean fallow period. Do you identify with the Cowboys in that way and just wonder why they never seem to get out of things? Well, yeah, it's it's a funny one. In the NFL, you do see this so often now that teams pulse. And I think the the salary cap has introduced this an awful lot more. You go to the times before the salary cap when... You know, you look at that Cowboys team, and my God, the players they had in that and some of those lineups were unreal. Um, as it's balanced out over the years, you know, perhaps the salary cap has impacted on the Cowboys more than it has on some of the other teams. The 49ers could well be another team that fell foul of that, massively successful in the eighties, successful in the nineties, but then it's not really carried forward after that. Um, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the pod before or not, but I, I actually was a Cowboys fan originally. Um, <laughs> for the very 
reason that in the 80s, um, that was the team to, to watch when it came on Channel 4. Uh, I had an older sister that went and worked in Dallas for a couple of months and she came back. Uh, at the time, I was fascinated uh, by JFK. Um, and of course, that included the assassination. Um, so she brought me back JFK books and Dallas Cowboys caps and tops and stuff like that. So when I was young, I was I was a Cowboys fan. I kind of came away from the game, and when I came back into it, I, I came into it fresh uh, and went through a whole new process of selecting the team that I was going to follow. But um, you know, I, I remember my you know the earliest memories of watching American football for me were a very very successful, um, absolutely you know talent deep. Dallas Cowboys team that just kept winning, just kept winning. Um, and it has been uh, a long time since they've really been uh, a hugely successful team. I mean, you look back over the seasons, you go back to 2016, they were 13 and 3. You go back to 2014, it was 12 and 4, uh, 10 and 6 in 2018. Other than that, there's it's all single-digit victories. Uh, you've not really stank for any season in the last few other than 2015. You know, 4-12 and 12 was a bad year. But, you know, other than that, it's I'm, I'm just having a look. You've got to go back to 2010 to have a losing season. So let's take that away from it. And it's not been as bad as it's been for some of us. You know, you've definitely yeah, but, not been as bad as the Niners have had. <laughs> yeah, but Cameron, I, I agree, but it's... But it's only the Niners. I mean, we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> oh, shots fired. This is what I like. This is what I like. So so talking about shots fired, Scott, did, did you understand why Jason Garrett hang around for so long? Oh, <laughs> you said the, the G word. Um, <laughs> and, well, I understood why, yes, especially having worked in sport. I understand why... Um, certain owners or certain uh, general managers or chief executives get an attachment uh, to a coach. There's possibly an example that's very much closer to home in Edinburgh, uh, Paul, um, that you, you know, Jason Garrett, I couldn't couldn't understand because I, you know, Cameron, you were were reeling off some seasons there as if if they were successful, but to me they were not successful. because you were you were judging them on past uh, Cowboys uh, seasons, and I also think they weren't successful in relation to the amount of money uh, that were being spent and the amount of talent they had on the field. Um, so he may have well, you know, uh, he may have well got uh, you know winning seasons, but but to me they weren't acceptable uh, to Dallas, and uh, I was infuriated on more occasions than I can tell you. And I have shouted and been swearing at my TV at two in the morning in ungodly hours watching Dallas uh, because of Jason. Uh, So I was uh, not happy because you've never seen someone happy to lose the job, Uh, but I was relieved that finally he had left the the hot seat. He was no Tom Landry. Uh, I'm sure he was steeped in the, the Cowboys, but he wasn't that steeped because he just went to the Giants. So um, I, I, I'm sure he was, he was. he's a good guy, and people we spoke to said he was a really great guy, but I, I could speak for hours on Jason Garrett, and it's not worth it now because he's not with us anymore. <laughs> I, I find that really quite fascinating. That we're going to get you back at some point to talk about the differences in the business sides of, you know, running running the NFL and 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 professional football clubs over here. But just the one question on that just now, you met because you touched on it, Scott. You talked about you didn't think Dallas got enough re- return for the money they spent. Do you like looking at the business side of your team? Very much so because. It's pretty much a busman's holiday um, for me. Um, one of my one of my best friends is uh, Perry Kitchen, who now plays for uh, LA Galaxy. Uh, Perry and I became friends when he was uh, captain of Hearts. Perry is a massive uh, Indianapolis uh, fan, and uh, I enjoyed so much torturing him about Andrew Luck being a quitter. Um, 
But I, I speak to Perry all the time about the business uh, side of things and did prior. Um, and how they run things in the States with the GM and how uh, uh, there are salary caps and drafts and uh, is just fascinating to me. Uh, and how you could apply them. I'm a huge, uh, I, was a, I was a Moneyball fan before the movie and uh, that kind of thing is, is just, you know, as I say, I could speak for hours about it and how you could apply it to different sports or not, as the case may be. And um, the Cowboys, the family dynasty at the top as it is, um, is fascinating and uh, it, it, yeah, there's, there's 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 lots of comparisons, good and bad and uh, interesting that you could make. Look forward to expanding upon that on another podcast. Just talking about the Jones family. I mean, there's there's never really a danger that they're going to move on from from Dallas. You know, the the two are so intertwined. Does Jerry do too much at times? Well, he's the he's the only owner that has a, his own press conference after the match. I think that's ridiculous. Um, and I think it's been ridiculous for years now. And I think uh, we're all we would all be thinking. I'm sure you thought, you know, the reason the Cowboys are going to get, you know, why was Jason still there? Because no one else would work for Jerry. Um, because he was, he would talk about the team, and he would immediately go. He'd be on the sideline, and he looked clearly like he was trying to influence. If I went down to the side of the pitch, said to John Robertson, "Do this," or had my own press conference after the game and slated the team or slated whatever, it would be unacceptable. So Jerry now has, it's become such a fixture, um, but I, I I find it difficult to stomach when you see him having an impromptu press conference after a game with microphones in his face and, and, and commenting on the team because I, I just think it's sacrosanct and you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing that in your office on Monday morning when some of the heats come out of the situation. Um, so I think Jerry does far too much. And, uh, well, I think he does far too much. Um, but it's difficult as a coach. I mean, if your ambition is to coach at the highest level for one of the biggest teams, have you simply got to swallow your pride and say, well, if that's what it takes to work for the Dallas Cowboys, I'll do it? Or do you simply think, some coaches will think, step too far, I don't care what they would pay me, that just doesn't work for me? Well, I'm not his biggest fan, but could you see Belichick working for Jerry Jones? <laughs> that that would be interesting. There, there's there's no doubt about it. I mean, Cameron, we we speculated who might get the job, and it's obviously landed to Mike McCarthy. But is he coming in because he needed the job? You know, it's not like he was in work; he'd been fired. So, do you think that he then has to accede to all of Jerry's bizarre little quirks? I think, well, I think he's going to have to figure out a way to work with Jerry Jones. And I think that's part of the challenge of being the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. You, you, you know, let's just take Scott's view that, you know, winning seasons aren't necessarily successful seasons. And that in itself is an output of a team that's known great success. Um, I don't naturally think a winning season is a successful season either. I, I totally get the point but it's it's more so in some of these sort of big ticket big names in the sport where the natural expectation is that Dallas Cowboys should be part of the Super Bowl conversation every single year and if they're not then they still somehow get talked about because actually it's the Dallas Cowboys um it, it'll be fascinating to see what he does the the stories that he went and built his own uh team of coaches whilst he was out of the game very very interesting um that shows that he was very determined to get back into coaching and what a great job for him to get. He's coming into a scenario as well where it's where he had at Green Bay, where he had somebody else who was influencing on the team other than himself in that he clearly had a quarterback who was calling the shots a lot of the time. Now, we don't know the full story of all that. That's to play out. With Jerry, you kind of know a little bit more what he's all about. So maybe that makes it a little bit easier for Mike McCarthy to come in and deal with that because there's that perception already that we know that Jerry's interfering. We know that Jerry's a big character. We know that Jerry's going to have his say. Mike will deal with that. Um, 
He's got Dak Prescott there. He's got a great running back in Ezekiel Elliott. He's got a great wide receiver in Amari Cooper. He's got a good changing room full of quality players that needed a refresh, needed a, you know, a bringing it back to the, the line and let's move forward again. Can he do it in year one? I don't know. And I wonder how quickly the pressure will turn on him. It's sometimes, you, I always find this as well, and we get this many go round in, in football, Scottish football, and sometimes it's after the removal of a coach that's been there for too long, suddenly you go to the opposite and you immediately go through this run of then flipping people out too quickly. So it'll be interesting to see what Jerry does if it isn't a particularly successful first season. Um, and I guess my question to Scott on that is, what are you hoping that McCarthy can achieve year one? And what does he need to achieve for it to be called a success? Well, fortunately for him, he's not following on a, su- uh, a successful coach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From my point of view, um, uh, from a, I think from a Cowboys fan point of view, he's not following a successful coach. Um, no one will look back and think on the glory years of Jason Garrett. Um, yeah. um, so it's great to be able to be cynical about something just as a fan and not. Uh, but that, that's the that's the truth. Um, I think uh, I'm a hundred percent Mike McCarthy right now <laughs> because he hasn't. Um, well, we don't know when the games are going to get played, but he hasn't played a game. We don't know what it's going to be. He doesn't have Dak Prescott yet. Um, you, you'd say uh, we've not, he's not signed yet, has he? Um, but um, yeah. I'm assuming, assuming that deal will get done. And, um, and he, does have, he does have some pretty impressive uh, talent to work with. It's interesting that he got the job because of all the preparation he was doing. He was effectively from the day he was fired or shortly after he was preparing uh, for his next job. Um, he wasn't money-balling, but he was NFL-balling along the lines of that um, and putting together a coaching team and putting to get, and looking at all sorts of stats. I've been involved in interviewing managers and coaches who... Uh, who, who are amazing at presenting and would blow you away. But, you, but that wouldn't mean to say they were going to be successful. So, but as I say, I'm 100% behind him um, until I'm not. Uh, and I hope he, I, I, we must get the playoffs uh, and we must win more than one playoff game. That's what I think is anything less than that. Um, it, to me, it will be... Another letdown. Now, he might get cut some slack, don't get me wrong, because depending on how they play, how they perform, the style of football they play, um, and you can always get a bad call against you, as Paul knows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, so so I, I think I think as a Cowboys fan, you're not caring it's a guy's first season uh, with you. You're saying he has to get to the playoffs and he has to win more than one game. Anything less than that, um, depending on how we go out, uh, you know, I'm not expecting them to win the Super Bowl, um, but I'm expecting them to do better than Garrett. It's not unreasonable, I suspect. But I mean, that that's the high expectations that come along with with coaching uh, somebody like the Cowboys. In terms of being able to see your team play, you obviously watch them on television. Uh, many games in person. Uh, my my first game was 1986. Um, and I went to see them uh, at Wembley play the Bears, um, who were Super Bowl uh, winners then. Uh, and I, I travelled to Wembley on a bus, believe it or not, from Dundee. Um, so Dundee to London in 1986 was not on a, on a coach, was not enjoyable. Um, and that was the first... Uh, time it was Jim McMahon was uh, quarterback for uh, the Bears. Ditka was Mike Ditka, ex Cowboys, was the coach. Uh, Walter Payton, which was I now look back on it and think I saw you know I saw greatness uh, in person. And the fridge, of course, was there. Ninety five, maybe more than ninety five percent of the odd of the of the it was an eighty six thousand sellout. Uh, I think it was the first uh, American Bowl, I think they called it. There was the 86,000 sellout, and the fridge um, was a superstar for the Bears at the time. And so 95% at least were all supporting the Bears. Um, 
and my young brother Neil and I went down in our cowboy shirt. Uh, we were wearing Danny White shirts, uh, number seven, Danny White, uh, quarterback, and we were thrashed. It was 17-0, and um, Cowboy scored in about two minutes to go a, a, touch, a touchdown, and uh, we had a St. Andrew's cross with the Dallas Cowboys uh, painted onto it, and um, we were waving this flag like lunatics uh, when the Cowboys scored. Uh, this t- and, but the, it, it, it showed that even later on, when the NFL came back to the UK, um, after uh, the claim wars and everything, that uh, the audience was the same because right at the end of the game it was still a full house. And people were singing and doing all sorts of things and I think Dick uh, and Tom Landry uh, couldn't believe it because it was just a friendly, it wasn't a competitive game. Um, and uh, Tony Dorsett was playing, who was one of my absolute heroes and... Uh, Ed, Too Tall Jones. I mean, who couldn't love a player called Too Tall Jones? Um, uh, so the, that was my first time. It, it was many, many years. I went without seeing them again in real life. Um, the last time I saw them was uh, two years ago uh, against the Seahawks. And we, I went to see Jerry World and see the new stadium. And it was... Uh, as I say, I luckily, lucky enough through my job in different clubs I've been with to travel the world and look at amazing stadiums. But it was incredible. And it was like a spaceship landed, you know, on another spaceship and something else. Um, unfortunately, we lost uh, to the uh, Seahawks that day. And um, it, wasn't a good, it wasn't a good day, but it was an, an astonishing uh, experience being in Jerry World and hoping to go back uh, next year because it might see them in, uh, with a new manager, uh, the new head coach and uh, visit family as well. Scott, you're like me. You, you've been to a lot of different places, and I, and I think sometimes the analogy, you know, of, of sports cathedrals gets overused. But of all the places that I've been, I walked into Jerry World, as you call it, and it is a genuine jaw-dropping experience. I don't think the television can really get the size of that place over. Well, it, it's it, I, I'd never seen anything like it. And as I say, I've been to World Cup finals and Olympic Games and Grand Prix and a million things in between. I've never seen anything like the Cowboys Stadium. And uh, obviously I've not been to the New Atlanta Stadium, so I'm not saying it's uh, which looks pretty spectacular. But when you walk into um, the AT&T and your first uh, view even of the well it's the biggest screen I've ever seen the four sided, I've never seen anything like it and it was in 3D um, I never, it, it was astonishing absolutely astonishing and and, uh, and that's what makes me annoyed that we're not more successful because there should not be a mediocre team playing in that uh, superstructure. Uh, and I know that makes it sound arrogant, um, so I accept that, and that's why everyone hates the Cowboys. But um, they are, you know, I go back to the days of, you know, you know, they, they put a hole in the roof so God could watch his team, you know. So uh, I, I, I can't understand why we could be so unsuccessful. Um relatively speaking, with all of the things they have, uh, assets that they have going their way. It's a, it's an incredible place, and certainly the NFL Scotland podcast tour, it would certainly bake, be on the list there, Cameron, as one of the places we'd, we'd stop by and have a wee look at. Oh, definitely. I think it's, it's yeah, whether you're a Cowboys fan or not, I think it's a location that's on the bucket list for somewhere to go and see, just to go and see what is supposed to be one of the best in the world. And obviously the way that you've spoken so highly off it, it only adds to that. Uh, definitely somewhere that I'd like to. I'll be honest, I've never been to Texas at all. It's, it's a state that's high on the list. We were very close, Paul. We were just one state over. But, you know, the Texas next time, we, I reckon we could do that. I love Texas. I think the people are fabulous over there. I've 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 been lucky enough. I've, I I 
seen the, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. I've watched the Texas Rangers play the Houston Astros as well. Just they do stadiums really well. I mean, in fact, I mean, and Scott will know this as a baseball fan. I mean, they, they're taking down the old ballpark, which is actually quite new, and they, they've built another one next door. Yeah, and it's and 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 it's right next to the AT and T Stadium. Texas Rangers Stadium is 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 right next to uh, Dallas Stadium. In fact, I think when we were at the Seahawks game, we parked in a parking lot uh, which was used for the Texas uh, Rangers, um, and and then walked over uh, with shaking hands and wobbly legs to to the cathedral that is Dairy World. Uh, it's quite incredible. We we stayed in a holiday house out there, just a very quick story, which literally was within walking distance of both those stadiums. So before we went, I'd printed out, because this was 2010, sat-navs were available, but I didn't have one. I printed out all the Google Maps directions from the airports. But Dallas had, not only had they built the new stadium there, which was fine, I knew it was there, but they then renamed all the streets around it. So I was looking for certain streets and I couldn't find them because they were now all named after Dallas Cowboys people. Yeah, they were named after the, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I was within a mile of the house I wanted to go to and I think it took me about two and a half hours to find it. But well, it's, like, it's like if you go to the Frisco, to the Frisco Star, to the training uh, complex, which I went out to, and all the streets around there have been renamed. Um, and I was getting uh, whiplash trying to take photographs of you know every street uh, sign around there because there's massive huge texas uh, ranch type villas in, in the massive boulevards leading up to it and uh, it would be whatever you know um tony dorset avenue or something i was i was i was having kittens myself <laughs> Scott, the one thing that's that's shone through here, and I say we'll get you back and talk about the business side again. The one thing that that's shone through here is that this is a real fandom. This is a real passion of yours. There's no doubt about that. Well, I I feel sick if they lose. I feel sick in, uh, when it finishes. My wife is infuriated uh, by my behaviour uh, because I can be a fan of of Dallas um, when you're in the football world and you work for different clubs and. Um, or work with different Formula One teams and things that I've been involved with. You, you know, you are you are completely invested in the club uh, business that you're with at that time, and everything revolves around that. But you can't really be a fan, um, and so I can be a fan of of the Cowboys, and. Um, and it affects me, you know, even though I know it's going to, I've got a really important meeting in the morning. I still can't go to bed if the cowboys are on at whatever time, ungodly hour, um, because I have to I have to stay up and watch the game. And I've got a game pass, you know, where it allows you to watch cowboys if it's not on uh, Sky, uh, which I think is just fabulous coverage. I just think it's amazing coverage. Uh, but I, I, I have the... I just I, I can support them as a team. You know, I think up until about three years ago, I was still getting the cheerleaders calendar, um, <laughs> which is obviously totally inappropriate in the in the world of uh, Me Too. Um, but I was I subscribed to Star Magazine, uh, now digital, and um, I uh, I have spent a stupid amount of money on Cowboys. Uh, merchandise and game worn stuff and things like that just stupid uh, things that I can my wife has no idea about Perry Kitchen was warning me not to tell the true price of anything I've paid for uh, on the podcast in case she listens to it and finds out that I've been an idiot <laughs> well I mean Cameron you know I mean game worn jerseys go for what $30 something like that it's it's relatively cheap isn't it well, I think you should be pushing for a uh, an NFL Scotland exclusive here. We've got Scott Gardner. We can nail him right now. Come on, go in for the kill. Go in for the kill. <laughs> well, I, 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 on my honeymoon, uh, I went to, uh, and Perry Kitchen will listen to this, so he will laugh because he said, don't do this. Um, but on, on my uh, honeymoon, I, I went on the last day uh, in Vegas, 
I um, came across a store that was selling. Uh, uh, we went on honeymoon in November, so I was in Arizona for Thanksgiving uh, to see the Cowboys beat the Redskins, which was fabulous as ever. It's the one team we can beat pretty easily. Um, at the moment, didn't always wasn't always like that when John Riggins and you know, Joe Theismann were around. But at the moment, we were we were able to beat them pretty comfortably. And on my last day, my wife was away shopping, and um, I came across a store with the the retro Thanksgiving shirt. You know the throwback shirts. Um, yeah, uh, they look great. They look, yeah, they look amazing. And I've been trying to get the. SPFL to do this for years, I have to tell you. And one day I'm going to win the argument that I think that the the throwback shirt is one of the greatest marketing ideas um, you can have because they're going to have a different throwback shirt every year. So you've got a reason to buy another shirt. Um, and I bought the, the Dallas Cowboys throwback shirt, um, which was an which was not game worn a shirt, but was um, you know one of the jerseys that was. Uh, produced for the game but wasn't game worn and it was in you know when you buy a, f- a leather coat or a, I've never bought a fur coat but you know they chain all the jerseys together they chain all the coats together so you had to someone had to come and unlock a padlock to let you try it on because they were all hooked up together and it was a it was a Tony Romo jersey so the navy body and the white sleeves and uh, throwback uh, Thanksgiving Day shirt and um I said I tried it on, and obviously I look like an idiot because I'm not the same size as Tony Romo or the same size in uh, with pad without pads. Thought it was, I, I, but I thought it looked amazing because it was one of Tony, Tony's jerseys. And uh, I said, "How much is it?" And he said, "It was I think he said it, I think it was seven nine nine or eight nine nine. It wasn't game worn, remember? Um, dollars, so eight or nine hundred dollars." And uh, I said, and I swithered for a minute thinking that's ridiculous. And I thought, well, you know what? I've spent a fortune on our honeymoon. I've treated my young wife like a princess. I deserve something. And so I said, I'll take it. And as uh, he said, okay, that's fantastic. My wife walked into the store. (laughs) And I thought, bugger. so I quickly said to the guy, please don't say, uh, because, you know, it's chipping, uh, it's not chipping pin. You have to sign over there. Yeah. Uh, I said uh, at that time, you had to, I said, please don't say how much this is. Um, can you can we go to the, the, the till? Can you just uh, put the number down? Because I don't want my wife to know how much I've paid for this. And she came over and she was full of joy and we were very happy and still are. But and she said to him, what, "What's that?" And I said, "Well, you know, the jersey Tony was wearing the other night. That's this is it. This is the same one from last year. You know." It's, and she said, "Why don't you treat it? How much is it? Why don't you treat yourself?" And I said, "It's one hundred ninety nine dollars." Um, <laughs> and I'm whispering now because it's in the next room, but it's one hundred ninety nine dollars. And she said, "Well, why don't you get it? Treat yourself. You deserve it." And. Uh, I went to the counter and the guy looked at me dead in the eye uh, and said, okay, sir. And he put it through at, I think, 799. And uh, I signed it the quickest I've ever signed anything. And uh, she still said, and then she couldn't understand why I was raging one day because she'd folded it up and scrunched it up in the corner of a drawer. When I had it hanging on a suit hanger, (laughs) this jersey was on a suit hanger. Um, So it's the jersey I wear... uh, for games, even though Tony was the man who was always on the cusp of greatness, until he's become a pundit, now he's the greatest pundit ever, but he was always on the cusp of greatness as a player. Uh, I, think he's uh, the best, I think he's the best pundit ever now, to be honest. He's tremendous, and you can tell that, you know, but, you know, they tried it with Jason Witten and they're trying to, you know, Peyton Manning out, the, you know, in the booth or pe- people like that. So, yeah, I think Tony Romo's a one-off in that regard. Cameron, I bet you're surprised that somebody who's presented themselves, you know, in the, in the cool world, you know, football north and south of the border, operating, you know, work for Lord Sugar, etc. is such a big fan. Uh, absolutely. 
Um, it's it's great to have so many great fans. And I, do you know? I think another exciting byproduct of this as well is I'm delighted to hear that Perry Kitchen is going to be listening to this, uh, and uh, we'll have to get him on. We'll have to get him on. We can uh, do that. that. I'm sure we can do that. I'm sure we can do that. He can give you he can give you some Zlatan stories to begin with, and then he will talk about his uh, will be gone Colts. <laughs> Scott, I can't, I can't let you go with answering the most important question for the NFC East. So it, it's simply a one-word answer. Who do you hate the most, the Giants, the Redskins, or the Eagles? Well, 20 years ago, we'd have been the Redskins. But as I say, I think, uh, and honestly, when, when Riggins, John Riggins and Theismann were lording it over the Cowboys. I, I, I absolutely detested them. Um, I, I, know, um, I know I should say the Eagles um, because that's, but it's not, it's the Giants. I, 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 uh, which is bizarre because my, my other American sports teams are all in New York. And so it's bizarre, but I, I, I always, it's it's critical to me that we beat the Giants uh, for some bizarre reason. Uh, we must beat the Giants. I just don't. I I, I hate the Giants. <laughs> I hate the big word for the chief executive to use, uh, and uh, but I hate the Giants. That's all right. You're talking as a fan. I think we can forgive you. But Cameron, if if Jamie Borthwick's up in Inverness doing a couple of interviews, that could be an awkward one. <laughs> we'll be sure to pass this on to Jamie. Uh, I'm sure he'll come and uh, rub it in if they manage to get a win. Although I think you're safe for a couple of years, to be fair, from the Giants. I don't think you've got anything to worry about there. Perhaps. perhaps. Remember, it's the Cowboys you're talking about, so perhaps. <laughs> Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the NFL Scotland podcast. We will get you back to talk about the business side of the game, but genuinely, we, uh, that's been brilliant, mate. No worries. Cheers, lads. So brilliant to hear from Scott there, Paul. I thought he came across brilliantly as well. Yeah, he's a man who loves his American sport. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I mean, he loves his baseball, ice hockey, basketball, NFL, though, right up there. And I love for a team that not everybody likes, we'll be honest about that, the Dallas Cowboys. But he, I thought he put his case brilliantly for, for the Cowboys. We we don't talk about the Cowboys an awful lot, to be honest, on this podcast. We've, I, I, I'm trying to think back of all the guests that we've had. And actually, I'm not sure we've had a Cowboys fan today. I need to go and think about it. Um, actually, possibly, possibly one. Um, but it, nice to get some Cowboys coverage in there. That's for absolute sure. Uh, and as you mentioned repeatedly, we will absolutely get Scott back again in the future, where we can focus in a little bit more on the business side of things. Obviously, Scott's had a busy couple of days. He certainly has. There's a lot going on in Scottish football. I don't think anybody has missed that particular um, goings-on, shall we say. But no, it'll be good to get him back and talk a little bit more about the, the business side and how the business side of the NFL operates. He's been to, involved with talking to MLS and, and other things. So it'll be really interesting to hear. Yeah, definitely. Right, on to the news then. And I guess we'll kick off with a bit of a uniform update. When we last met, uh, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had released their new but familiar kits. It's turned for the Atlanta Falcons a couple of days ago. They've released theirs. I'm obviously going to get an unbiased uh, thought from you here, Paul. What's your initial impressions? Meh. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, there's there's nothing striking. I mean, I, I like the, the Falcons logo, always have done. I think it's a very good logo. I think black is a very strong colour. And if anything, out the selections, I don't like the red. I don't think it works. The white's a bit, ugh. Uh, black is strong for them. The black with the white pants, the red, the red stripe down there. I've always liked the Falcons in black. I think that's their strongest colour. So that's the way I'd like to see them certainly go. So I'm I'm a fan. Do you know I I like them. I I don't like the ATL across the top. And I've seen a few people say who's going to be the player brave enough to have ATL 28 on his on his top um because that's only going to be open for ridicule. I do like the uniforms. I think that the black is bold. Uh obviously we've got the Raiders but they're not all black like that. Um it's obviously black and silver is very much a two-tone color with that all black look is really I think it's really sleek. I think it's really clean. 
I'm a massive fan of the white kits. And I, it's funny, I was saying this to someone the other day, I always kind of moan about the fact that all the road kits pretty much are white, and it's a bit boring and there's not an awful lot you can do with it, but more and more, as kits get, kits get released, it's always the white one that I think, oh, that looks really nice, and it's just that simple red flash down the side, I think it's really smart. Obviously, there's a couple of photos being released where they're mixing it up, I think the white with the red trousers looks really smart, I think the black with the white looks really smart, um... I'm not sure about the faded top, the red into the black. I am not convinced on that. It feels like a late, a late 1990s football kit. Um, it's certainly something I would highly have expected Aberdeen to have played in a couple of years <laughs> ago. Um, so, you know, on that side, I'm like, oh, brilliant. But no, nah, I think the the clean look, the, the single solid tone is really nice. So I'm a big fan. I think it's good. Uh, I did... And I have to say, I'm loving the social media coming out of the NFC South. Um, I think it was the Carolina Panthers posted a picture of Matt Ryan in his black kit and then cut to Adam Sandler from Mean Machines standing on the sideline in their black kit, suggesting that they've clearly copied the Mean Machine designs. And let's be honest, they're not a million miles away from it. But the, the banter in amongst those NFC Souths and Sean Payton getting in on the action as well, it's been tremendous. I think it's great. I mean, I, I love it when teams just have a little bit of slight. You know what I think the difference is between over here and over in America is that the sniping is is done firmly tongue-in-cheek. There's a little bit of love underlines it, and, and you're just trying to just gently have a go at people. I think we lack that, that subtlety here. Um, I might be just because we're a smaller country and everything seems a little bit more on top of each other when you have a little go. But I don't think anybody would take the Panthers trolling too seriously. You give it a smile and you move on and you wait for a chance to get them back at some point. Yeah, and that's it. You know, this is it. You do get the chance to get it back. I think it's as much that, unfortunately, the fans over here don't take it. There's too many. There's a lot of people who take it absolutely for what it is and have a laugh. And then there's a bunch of people that take it far too seriously. They'd be wanting people sacked for it. So people are too scared to do it. And it's a shame that that's where we are, but it is where we are. Anyway, what other news items uh, tickling your fancy then? Well, I was slightly irritated by CBS's decision to drop Dan Fouts as one of their broadcasters from the number two team. I thought I and Eagle uh, and Dan Fouts were tremendous together and a really strong backup team uh, to Romo and Nance. I cannot believe that CBS have binned them and then got out and got Charles Davis from Fox. Now, Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis were the, the Fox number two team um, who were pretty much meh as far as I was concerned I didn't you know Kevin Burkhart's a talented enough broadcaster right across sports Charles Davis never really got it to be perfectly honest and I think that's a real shame because they've taken away what I think is a very strong pairing and just turned it into a very average pairing I know Ian Eagle has probably got no say in the matter whatsoever um, and Dan Fouts he's had a great run I think I mean he pretty much stepped into the booth after retiring in 87 first of all an analyst on CBS he went you know he's done Monday night football he's been with CBS for a long time but it, it seems kind of strange that to me they're not improving the position if you're going to make a change make an improvement I don't rate Charles Davis for Dan Fouts is an improvement. Do you think that Fouts ends up now back on Monday Night Football? Do you think he is, I mean, you've talked about this, about the fact that, in your opinion, ESPN could do much worse than go and get Fouts and Eagle. Now, obviously, they're not necessarily going to come as a team, but do you think that that's somebody they now make a play for? Well, I think it's different now, isn't it? Because he's out of work. So I'm not really sure there's too much of a play that you make. You make him an offer, he'll jump at it. Of that, I'm fairly sure. Unless Fox want to go and pick him up and stick him in there. You've got to develop new talent. I get that. But, I mean, Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts have been a very solid, reliable number two pairing for a long time to suddenly just blow that up. Now, there's no indication, and we might be wrong, um, that Dan Fouts had decided he wanted to retire or move on. Um, so I think that's a really, really strange one that you've gone from being so high up to just dropped altogether. They're talking about possibly Greg Olson to come in with Kevin Burkhart, but I'm not really sure what CBS are seeing in Charles Davis. Charles Davis is serviceable, 
but he's not better than Dan Fouts. And Greg Olsen, of course, has signed for the Seahawks, so it's going to be playing this year. Much like the other bit of news that's come out, which is Drew Brees going to join NBC Sports. Now, that's one for down the line, you certainly hope, as a Saints fan, I'm sure. But, you know, it's interesting to see when these players do get snapped up um, ahead of time. And I get that looking at Olsen is one thing, but Olsen's not going to be in the booth this year. No, I mean, this, this is getting stupid. Uh, it has to be said. Now, they're trying to find future talent. And yes, I suppose a lot of people would want Drew Brees in the booth. But do we know if Drew Brees is any good? Now, I only say that because I've never heard him broadcast a game before. He may have been in at NBC and ESPN. He may have been doing practice games. And he might have just blown absolutely everybody away. But you would have thought that uh, they would have done the same with Jason Witten, which, and he blew nobody away. So I'm not really sure what these executives are trying to do. They've Everybody's got a decent first team at the moment, with the exception of ESPN. Um, if Drew Brees is going to go to NBC, does that mean Al Michaels might be on the move? Do you just, you know, take the jump with Al Michaels and Chris Collinworth? Do ESPN make a play for them? You've got to remember, you know, John Madden moved around an awful lot. You know, in his broadcast, I think he broadcasts for all four networks. It's not unusual to see people moving around. Um, if I'm ESPN, Dan Fouts would be a fairly safe pair of hands, but that might not meet what they're trying to do, which is sort of a bold new way. They're certainly not getting Drew Brees. I would still, if I'm still ESPN, I would sign up Dan Fouts and I'd make an approach for Iron Eagle as well. But I know part of the problem is these guys have got other broadcasting commitments across basketball and other sports. So it doesn't always work that you can suddenly just make a jump. Yeah, indeed. Um, so other news items that have been coming up... Uh Tompa Bay. Um, oh, oh. Now, I've used the word may twice. I'm not <laughs> going to use the word may about that. I think I'll just use the word shit and leave it at that. <laughs> I can't believe he's put his name to it. That's, I mean, it's just, oh, honestly. People, they should use that to basically remove people from the stadium. If you're rocking up to Vincent James Stadium wearing a Tompa Bay top, do you know what? Instant ejection. Straight out. Clearly trouble. Obviously drunk. Nope. Out you go. I, just, I can't believe he's put his name to it. It's absolutely... We put a tweet out uh, on the back of us trying to explain to Mark Sessler the definitions of the words. Uh, and it's the epitome of the word boufin. So if, if you're unsure to this day, if you listen to this podcast, exactly what do we mean by boufin? Tompa Bay? That is boufin. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you fully. It should have been Tompa Brady. Yeah. <laughs> just, don't put any ideas in his head. That's probably in See, there as well. Tom, Tompa Brady is, is probably just as bad, but at least it doesn't affect the word bay. I think that's really, really naff. And I'm just wondering, and he doesn't strike me as the type, but he was on Howard Stern recently. You know, perhaps he's just, you know, he's in lockdown. He's had a dozen bottles of Bud Light. Uh, perhaps some of them even were lime because he's kind of wild and crazy like that. And somebody said, hey, Tom, what about Tompa Bay? And he's just going, yeah, go with it. You know, I wonder if there'll be sort of that regret in the morning when he realizes that he's signed up to this. Yeah. I did what? It's also, made me, it's also made me rename the stadium in Tampa Bay. Of course, it's the Raymond James Stadium, not the Vincent James. Who's Vincent James? <laughs> Vincent, Vincent James I think, is... was, was, was Ray's brother. Um... <laughs> Vincent James sounds like the sort of guy who would wear a Tampa Bay T-shirt. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. As soon as I said it, I was like, no, nah, that's not right. It's not Vincent James. Oh, dear. Clearly, we're gonna have, Easter We're going to have to get out of lockdown, my friend. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, the one other thing that we want to do as well, we'll come on to the XFL in a second, but I, before I forget, one thing that we continually ask you guys to do out there, uh, you listeners, is if you've got the time and you're willing to do so, is to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, it's one thing that we're a little bit light on. We definitely don't. We've got some great ratings and what have you. Not a lot of reviews. If any of you out there listen regularly and you're happy enough to give us a review on iTunes, iTunes even, we'd really appreciate it. Um, it helps us show that we are a sort of professionally put together podcast, which I hope comes across. Calling it Vincent James Stadium probably doesn't help the cause. Um, but by giving us a review, it allows us to engage people better. It, it, allows us to go and get better guests and better content all the time so just a call out on that one if you do have the chance then please do leave us a review if you want to take the opportunity to tell us we suck 
please do. We, we appreciate the feedback. Honestly, anything that you want to put on there, we're happy for. Um, but if you do get this, uh, you have an iTunes account, you listen to us on your Apple podcast or your iPad or whatever, and you've got the time to do so, we would very much appreciate that. Um, but just before that, uh, Paul... The XFL, unfortunately, looks to have ended uh, and suffered because of the coronavirus lockdown. Will it come back? Who knows? I think they've done the right thing. You you can't just, you know, pay an organisation for, you know, an, time and time and time again. I think they've had to make that call. Um, will Vince McMahon want to come back having failed the first time on his own, the second time? There's nothing he could have done about it. Uh, I actually thought it was good. I thought they were building nicely. But if with his money, if he can't make it, I don't think we're going to see a serious contender to the NFL in the next five or ten years. I just don't think the will will exist to, to try and spend that money. No, and it's, I understand what they've done. Uh, I think that what they've done as well is they've not said outright, yeah, this is it coming to an end. Uh, they've not said either way, although it's heavily indicated that they are suspending the league and there's not necessarily any intent to bring it back. But I think it's just another factor of we just don't know how long this is going to last, especially in the States, which we've we've spoken about off air and things like that. You know, it's it's 50 different countries over there. It's uh, who knows how long it's going to be before every single state is in a position where they can pick sport back up again and have people in stadiums. The XFL is absolutely dependent on having people in stadiums. The NFL, not so much. You know, it's got a, a huge amount of income from its television deals. Therefore, people in the stadiums, you could possibly live a bit of time without it. Um it's an interesting conversation. It's one that I'm sure that we'll have during the summer as well, once we get on the other side of the draft. Um, obviously, a shame for all the people who have been made redundant from the XFL. We hope that they are able to successfully find jobs soon and uh, what is going to be a difficult time for everybody. But, you know, a shame to lose the, the spring league, which felt like it had a, a, a decent amount of momentum behind it. Um, and certainly, I hope at some point there is an opportunity to have some more football in our lives. Uh, certainly, it gives us something to talk about, if nothing else, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I thought they did all the right things. They approached it in the right way. They were getting fan buy-in. Some of the crowds a little bit up and down. But, you know, it was working in certain places. And that's what you want with a new league. I don't think you expect it to work absolutely everywhere. Television was interested. You know, they got the big boys on board. Uh, so... Perhaps there's one or two other sports that are quite happy that the XFL is moving away because that allows them to perhaps come back up the ladder a little bit. I mean, it is, it's very interesting when we are going to see sport played again and when we're going to see sport played in front of audiences as well. And I think at the moment, the first sport to get back in any form of meaningful way, even if it's behind closed doors, but to provide television content, I think, and, and I hope nobody puts anybody's health at risk because of it, but I think there's going to be a pressure for somebody to get out there, get in there and fill that gap because at the moment people are begging for programming and entertainment, but I just would hate to see it rushed back. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Someone sees the opportunity to, to earn some extra money out of it and goes early and goes too early and creates more of an issue that pushes everything else back again on the other side of it. It's a, it's a dangerous game to play that one because if you are the sport that comes back too early and then you then elongate the, the issue, you actually end up possibly doing yourself more damage from a reputational point long term. Uh, you know, It will be interesting to see when it happens, not just in this country, but across the world as well. Already we're hearing conversations about some countries trying to get back to normal in some shape or form. And then we've got Belarus who've continued to play their football all the way through um you know the only pretty much the only place in the world that's doing so certainly the only place in europe it's you know we all want sport back soon but let's get it back at the right time let's get it back safely we've got to focus in now on the draft though paul and the next couple of weeks is definitely going to be that lots of stories to come out of this and i'm fascinated to see how they put the whole thing together i think it's going to be an amazing couple of weeks because I think you know the NFL network will ramp it up and I think people will eat up the content uh, you know we're going to do our draft look back as well as draft look forward and a chance for us to talk about some of the successes and some of the players that we see might be coming I mean they're talking about this draft being 
you know, you know, Cameron, they always say it's not a good draft for quarterbacks, but yet quarterbacks will always dominate the draft because teams simply need to roll that dice. They're talking about, you know, it's a fairly decent draft for wide receivers. And I think if you've got a team that's got a young quarterback that you now want a stud stellar talent to throw to, I think we're going to see some big names coming off the board early at wide receiver, perhaps more than normal. I think we're going to see the, the usual kicking at running back, running backs stock continue to fall. But yeah, I look forward to chatting to you in greater detail about the draft. Yes, lots to look forward to. But that's the Field Time Whistle then for episode 95. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Please continue to share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter, at ScotlandNFL, and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We're growing all the time, but need your help to keep that up. We appreciate every single retweet and share that you give us. As we mentioned earlier, if you've the time, and let's be honest, who doesn't? We really appreciate any reviews you can give us on iTunes. So things are very much now focused on the draft. We'll be back next week as we start to look at some of the big names we expect to come off the board early. We're going to be joined by some great guests as well over the coming weeks to do just that. Thanks to Scott for joining us for this episode. He was absolutely terrific. We'll get back to him in the future as well. Thank you for listening, for taking the time to share your thoughts. We'll be back soon. Stay safe and bye for now.